Hi, welcome to the Bridge Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following message. For more information on all that's happening at the Bridge Church, please visit www.bridge-church.com. So, who's ready to hear the Word of God? <laughs> so, as per usual, I have to stick to my roots. And I was inspired by a movie, ironically a movie that I have not seen. (laughs) It's a clip from a movie. Uh, So today's message is called The Right Stuff. It is a part, the first part of a two-part mini-series. And so you'll get today's message and then you'll get another one to to conclude it. Um, In in the nature of of Hollywood, a mini-series is anything that is... uh, less than a lot. So this is only two, so it's considered a mini-series. Um, but the, the series itself is called Undesirable. So it starts off with The Right Stuff. Um, if anyone has seen, there's actually a TV show, I think, called The Right Stuff, and, and it centers around astronauts and all this stuff. What struck me was this iconic scene from the movie. Um, again, I haven't seen it, but this, this scene centers around the astronauts getting ready to go to a moon. Americans, sorry, I'm, again, tapping into my roots. So these American astronauts are getting ready to go to the moon, and this scene is of them walking through because they have decided to stop placating everything and, and stop listening to the doubts, stop paying attention to the things that are telling them they shouldn't do this or that they can't do this. And so they finally decide, and they're walking down this hallway. And this scene has inspired so many different movies and things like that. And I just, it, it, the vision came to me, the, the visual, rather, of these people. And I'm thinking, how do they have the confidence to just pull up their bootstraps and walk down here and say, no, I'm not listening to you critics. I'm going to do it. And and last week, um, Francis said something to me which caught me off guard because we were walking down. We had set up everything. Um, Thank you for those of us who joined us last week. It was pretty amazing to celebrate our pastor's 25th anniversary and the baptism um, recipient. So um, I was walking down, and and Francis had said, I'm going to try and walk like a model like you. (laughs) And, And I thought... What? Because I think I'm the clumsiest, worst person to, to follow in the world. But then I realized when I have a confidence in something, I stand a bit taller. I walk in a stride that is nothing but confidence. And I kind of likened it to this, this uh, visual of them walking down. Um, there's other takes on it where you see the people and the, the comedians walk and it's, they start off, they're big and bold, they're walking and then they trip and fall over each other. And that is how I envision me walking is the one starting like, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to take on the world. I'm going to silence my inner critics, which we, AKA the enemy, um, and I'm going to keep going. Well, I end up usually falling flat on my face. So I thought, that's, that's probably a message in there somewhere. Um, but, and luckily, the, the Holy Spirit kept talking to me in my prayer time and took me to Mark 3, verse 13. 
we're going to start there. And those of you who know, I tend to pick very long verses, I guess, verses, and go from there, and it's usually a long story. This isn't a story. We're going to go just from 13 to 19. So, Mark 3, 13 starts off, Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. The next verse, please, sorry, just so that I don't strain my eyes on my thing. So in verse 14, he says, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that they might send him out to preach. And to have authority to drive out demons. That's a big one, just making sure. Verse 16 says, these are those 12 appointed. So there's Simon, whom he called Peter. There's James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Pretty cool there. Because what comes before thunder? Lightning. So thunder's following, and, and Jesus gave them a new name. Jesus gave Simon a new name, Peter. We're going to get into that. Then there's Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, which he's distinguishing between the other James, son of thunder. And Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Which I think is quite funny how this is also, that's what Judas is known for. So, Jesus gets these 12 disciples together. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. He's got 12 of the best of the best of the best, right? I'm never going to be able to walk tall like them. I'm never going to be able to do things like them. And then I started reading, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what is going on with these people? Have you guys ever seriously had a look at these 12 disciples? <laughs> Peter is on fire half the time. The other half the time, he's doubting everything that's going on. And then the sons of thunder are having a thunderous argument over who gets to be seated next to God which are seated next to Jesus up in heaven. And I'm thinking, my son and my daughter argue like this. Jesus either A, must have been out his mind, or B, had to roll his eyes on a daily basis with these guys because they're always stumbling and falling. And it's easy to ask why he would have chosen the 12. They gave us plenty to doubt and question, right? So, he had more work cut out for him for putting up with them than he did healing the masses. Like, if you really kind of get into it, he's constantly like, how can you not understand this? What is going on? Why are you crying out? Why can't you just let me sleep? And I understand that. But then I realize, well, wait a minute. I'm like that. I'm the one that's constantly frustrating Jesus because, let's face it, people, the only perfect man ever to exist was Jesus. We are broken. 
we're broken vessels. And I've, I've said before that I'm broken and I'm held together with, with uh, duct tape and safety pins because that's what it feels like, right? Like everything is like all my pieces, like I'm just, just on the edge. I'm just constantly on edge. And then I realized, sure, that could be the case, but actually, since I've been saved, I don't have duct tapes and safety pins. It's Jesus holding me together. So it's Jesus who held the 12 together because they would not stay together if it was up to them. They were constantly bickering amongst themselves. They were constantly questioning what Jesus was doing. None of them were remarkable. None of them were extremely knowledgeable of the, the law, right? Because if he had had to pick, had his, has picked, he could have picked the Pharisees. He could have picked anyone out of a number of people. Paul, he could have picked Paul from the get-go because Paul knew his stuff. He knew exactly what was going on in the word. He knew how to quote it, to recite it, how to walk it, and then to use it to condemn people because he used it to hit people over the head, literally, and bring shame upon people if they weren't acting in the word. But all that was doing was just reminding them of how unperfect they were, how undesirable they were. Who's to feel like they've got the right stuff if their stuff is horrible? Because the enemy wants to use that against you and remind you every day. Hey, you've got a lisp. Hey, you can't read and write very well. Hey, you've got a drinking problem. Hey, you can't get out of bed. Hey, you've got health problems. Whatever your issue is, the enemy wants to tell you that you do not have the right stuff. But let's go back real quick to verse... 13, I think it was. Yes, verse 13. Jesus picked and called to him those he wanted. So let that sit in. If he's called to you, he wants you. Broken pieces and all. Can I get an amen? amen. Because you are what he made you to be. So what we need to do is get out of our own way, say no to the enemy, see what God wants us to be, and walk in it. So if that was just the easy gist of the message, then we'd be done here. Y'all can go have a great afternoon. But there's a little bit more to it. We're going to look a little deeper at Peter. Jesus wasn't choosing them for their ability to recite the law. He certainly wasn't choosing them for their sharp skills. It was their recognition of him and who he was, which Peter displays in Matthew 16 through 18. But, but the thing is, is that in, in that note, um, we, we don't need the words for that, but it's just, it carries over in many of the Gospels, so that's why I'm not quoting it, because it was that important that Peter recognized who Jesus was, and he told, when he asked, who am I, he said, you're the son of God. Without a doubt, he knew who he was, which Simon is a doubting person, right? His name means sand, and how did he go from sand, which falls apart, to 
the rock of which we build our church on. Oh, wait, isn't there a parable about that? Don't build your house on the sand, build it on... Yeah, that's right. So Simon goes from that, these crumbling, broken pieces that can barely be held in your hand because who's ever tried to trap sand, to the rock. He does that through Jesus, through transformation, through a whole process. Was he perfect afterwards? No. How many gospels or, I'm sorry, how many uh, letters do we have written from Peter versus Paul? Does that matter? No. Because what he says and when he says it, he gets through to us. It's not about how much he produced because he wasn't a wordly man. And when I say wordly, I mean he didn't, he wasn't very verbose. <laughs> he knew how to say, yes, okay. There's, so my kids watch this movie, and I think it's Johnny's favorite movie. It's um, The Secret Life of Pets 2. And if anyone has ever seen this, Harrison Ford plays this sheepdog. And so you can get this image, Harrison Ford, right? And he's just like, Ur. Just very, just, Ur. Well, the sheep get out, and there's this one sheep. It's a little kid sheep, and they have to go save him and all this stuff. But then he's walking, and they're, they're walking back. The fence isn't even mended, and, and the, the sheep dog says, get in your pen. The, dog, the sheep's name is Cotton. Get in your pen, Cotton. He goes, okay. And then he says, wrong way, Cotton. Okay. And he goes, which I know that sounds really silly, and, he, he, you know, I'm sitting up here hopping around on stage. But the thing is, that's how we need to reply to God. God says to Peter, give me your boat. Okay. All right, come with me. Okay. So Peter, for all his flaws, got out of his own way and just said, okay. And followed Jesus without asking the questions. Did he ask questions? Absolutely. And he was passionate and on fire because he was growing to learn to love Jesus and what he was preaching. And he could see Jesus for who he was. He had a heart for Jesus. So he was able to say, okay, use me. But the problems came when he stopped seeing himself as Jesus saw him. When he started letting the fear come in, then he was like, no, 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 I don't know you. <laughs> also, let's, let's just take a little detour here. I think it takes more courage to stay in the boat where Jesus told you to stay, even though it's rocking, than it does to step out of the boat and do it your own way. This is my personal opinion, and I know there are some great messages about how to step out of the boat. And that's wonderful. They are amazing messages. Go that. But how much courage does it take to listen to God and just say, okay, I'll stay in the boat. The boat is rocking. The waves are coming. I feel like I'm going to die. But, okay. But then Peter, because he's all gung-ho, and I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Who said you had to walk on water? That's God's job. You don't need to walk on water. You can stay in the boat and get to the other side just as safe because Jesus is guiding you there. You don't need to say, I'm following you, let me get out this boat. And just sit. Oh, wait, wait, why? Why can't we do that? Because inevitably, we take our eyes off of God, and then we sink. 
It's not because he doesn't want us to walk on water. He just knows that we're flawed. We are going to lose sight of him, and he is trying to save us from drowning. So how can you say that a man like that has the right stuff? Because Jesus can see the end from the beginning. He knows that he is going to be a world changer once he gets it together. Once he goes through the process of change, once he gets through that, and is that hard? Yes. It is so difficult to be the person that God decided he wants you to be. There's, there's lots of be yourself. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. Well, that's great, and I wish I could, <laughs> but is that up to me? myself? Did I make this image of myself? Or am I the self that God meant me to be? And there's other things that come, come up against that. So if we are being the person that God meant us to be, that's great. When we walk on that path, more things come against us. Jesus gets taken to the cross, and then you stand in a crowd and have to three times say, I don't know him. And then you get mad and angry and start shouting belligerently because you're so upset at yourself for feeling the fear of the unknown of what happens next that you're not being true to what you know is right. So that's why, by the way, I'm standing up here looking potentially like a My Little Pony lost a fight with an electric cable because I had to decide, am I going to go up there and look kind of nice, or am I going to be me? And God made me all these different parts. I mean, let me tell you, there's a lot, like, we fight on a daily basis of who, who I'm going to be. Like, when I get up in the morning, like, okay, am I going to be the lazy one today? Am I going to be the makeup one today? Who am I going to be? Well, either way, one of the pieces that he made me was bold. Whether or not I feel it, whole nother ball game. But he gave me the gifts. He gave me the strengths to be bold. So here I am. I cannot ask God to give me the grace unless I'm going to act. Because we can pray and we can pray and we can speak the word and call out all the wonderful things that the word says. But if I'm not going to act it, with my hot paint lipstick and my faux hawk, then what is the point? Right? And I use myself as, as an example because I am terrified to be standing up here right now. But I'm collecting all my broken pieces and I'm letting God work his grace in me. And the enemy is absolutely coming up against me, just as he will each and every one of you. But can the enemy actually do something about that? No. He can speak to you. He can plant all these seeds of doubt. But it's you who takes yourself off the track in your own race. Or, if you need to, you can keep in your lane, keep going forward in the race, even if you have to slow down and go to a walk, because Lord knows 
I don't run when chased. So if I'm running, you best be running as well if I'm coming running at you because there's something huge behind me, and if it's that bad, but everyone says, run your race, run your race. What if I want to walk my race? And then run. When God gives me the grace to start running. As long as I stay in my lane, stay on track, not looking left, not looking right. The reason why I don't do this every day is because I am looking left and right and backwards to find validation from others. To find people telling me, you look great today. Because as long as someone says, you look great today, that means I can continue breathing in my warped up logic. But is that a reality? No. Do I need people to tell me that it looks cool? Reality is no. Now, I'm talking about looks, but it goes much deeper than that. Do you need Jesus to tell you that you were worthy of love? To walk in it? Do you need Jesus to tell you you are worthy of friendship, of kindness. Jesus tells you all throughout this beautiful book. And if you take anything from him, look at all the characters from start to finish. Why did he choose the Jews? There were Great numbers of better people. The Egyptians, by some standards, would have said, hey, we're better because we've got all of these technologies or things like that that they used, right? Or other people were better at war, or other people were better. Why would he choose them? The flawed people that took 40 years to circle a mountain over and over and over again until they finally worked out the kinks to get and take the land that was promised to them. Why did he choose Abraham, who was ancient in years and had no kids, to father an entire race of people? Why did he choose David? That man was flawed, like flawed. I mean, his flaws had flaws. But what was with David? He had a heart for God. So what is it that we're looking for? God. We are looking for God. What are we seeing? We need to see him, see the things that he has sacrificed for us. We don't need to be looking in a mirror. If we're looking in a mirror, we should be looking at him. We should be seeing him in us because he is. We knew that Paul was the perfect student. We knew that uh, Jesus um, didn't call him until later, right? Jesus calls him, and it's much later, but he calls him when he needs him. So that's another thing about timing. Then Jesus removed the scales from his eyes and let him see. Peter wavered time and time again, right? We knew. He believed, but he didn't. Did he really believe? When... When Jesus said, I have to go to die, 
gets up in arms, literally, <laughs> one time, right? First, he's saying, no, 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 you can't go die. To which Jesus said, and this is right after, by the way, like right after, he says, you're the son of God. But no, you can't go die. You have to do it my way. Get behind me, Satan, is what Jesus' response is. First, Jesus is praising him and is proud and joyful. And then it's, get behind me, Satan, because he knows the enemy's coming into Peter and corrupting that confidence, that belief that he has in Jesus. Spinning it, just twisting ever so slightly that passion that Peter has. And then he's, he, in, in the garden, cuts off someone's ear, y'all. Like, I mean, this man. No, you can't take him. Jesus told him he had to. But Peter is so afraid of what will happen and what will develop in the future that he won't let it happen. So he literally fights to stop it happening, not realizing that this is the step that has to happen for the Holy Spirit to come and reside in him. These are the steps. These are the things that have to happen to you. Last time I was up here, I was talking about controlling what you can control. Sometimes don't get too controlling of yourself because then you're trying to go too wayward on your path, making it your way. So just mind, keeping that in mind, you do want to control yourself, right? And your self-control but not to the point where you're cutting off people's ears to make sure things don't happen because you're afraid of the unknown future. Do not come against other people when you're afraid in your heart of what they will think about you. Peter was, I mean, cussing. Yes, there's curse words in the Bible, people. Peter was doing it. At people who kept saying, aren't you with him? An innocent question. They weren't about ready to put Peter on the cross, but he sounded like it because he got so darn defensive of what people were saying, but he was projecting what he was feeling inside. He was so afraid that people would think less of him for being with the man that he knew he needed to follow, that he loved, and that he knew was the son of God because what would happen if he's gone? He can't go. But Peter was so tied into the now that he was afraid of what could be when clearly God had a greater plan for that, for him, for the disciples. And he had a plan to push him forward to change the world. Acts talks all about all the wonderful, wonderful things that he was able to do once he finally saw who he was in God's eyes, who God made him to be, not who the enemy is saying he is. And then there's, so I talked about Peter. Then there's Judas. I know, I know, it's like taboo, talk about Judas, right? Because boo, we don't want to talk about the guy who sent Jesus to the cross, but let's not forget, people, he was chosen too. He was chosen for a purpose. Does that mean that God loved him any less? Was he flawed? Sure was. Was he selfish? Absolutely. Was he afraid? More than any of them. I would guess, and this is my personal belief, that Judas was 
the most scared of them all, that he allowed that fear to rule. Now, there's a difference between giving place to the fear, like Peter did, than allowing the fear to rule. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate of what would, hap- would, have, would have happened as far as if um, Judas had not taken his own life. But I will say that Jesus loved and forgave all. All. One more time, for everyone in here and everyone online, all, no matter what you have done, Jesus forgives. So what do you have to do to earn this forgiveness? Do you have to be the right stuff? Do you have to be that guy walking confident or walking like a model down the runway just because you've got to be the one showing, I've got the right stuff? No. First step is forgive yourself. Because all he asks us to do is forgive. The first thing he asks us to do is love, right? Well, what is part and parcel with love? Forgiveness. That includes yourself. So anything you're carrying with him, and Paul had it. Paul said he's got this thorn, and of course I'm paraphrasing, but he's got this thorn in his side that he can't get rid of. Was he stopped from doing some of the greatest works that Jesus ever inspired him to do? So, difference between walking with the right stuff and, I'm going to say it, hanging on a tree, because let's face it, if you give way to the enemy, whatever happens after that, God is just waiting for you to come back, right? He's not going to turn you away. He loves you. The difference between that is letting God forgive you, knowing who he sees you to be, and letting his amazing, amazing grace walk through you and work through you. I love that we sang that today because it was so, so amazing, literally, and I know I just said that part in the pun, but... We think we need to be flawless and without fault. Why? That's what the enemy says. The enemy tells us we've got to be perfect. The enemy tells us you have to not have any other blemishes on you. In order to be saved, you've got to walk in righteousness. But that's not the way the the kingdom, is it? What is the way of the kingdom? You give first. You walk first. You act first. And then it will come. You believe. You have faith. And you walk. You act. So I can't just sit there and wait for it to happen. I can't pray and say, I'm going to be a confident person. I am a confident person. I am a confident person. I am a confident person. Oh my gosh. Amen. Jesus name. You say it in the word. You give me these blessings. I am a confident person. 
But unless I'm believing and walking, then it's not going to happen. Do you think that I thought when I was walking down the, down the, the stretch here that, oh, I'm going to walk like this because I am amazing and just walk? No. I let go of the critic. I let go of the things that were holding me back because why? I had a job to do. I had to get cupcakes on the table, people. We cannot wait and dilly-dally and think here, oh my gosh, people are going to look at me and they're going to think that I'm horrible and blah, blah, blah. No. Set it aside. Do your job. Get the cupcakes on the table, whatever that job may be. So between point A and point B, where I focused on what I needed to do and what was before me, which at this point was cupcakes, I walked, I moved, let's go. And what happened then? Someone saw me standing taller. Someone saw me walking with an air about me because I could. This thing that I've been striving for people to see that I am a good person, that I am bubbly and bright and cheery, which I am those things. But the problem is, what's going on in here? Y'all don't even get its torment. It is, oh my gosh, she's looking at me the wrong way. Oh, what's going to happen? I've got to get up there. Is my lipstick all over my face? Like, oh, that is what goes on in here. Why? Because the enemy knows that that will get me down. Right? But what happens when I stop thinking about that and I focus on the task that I need to do, which is the task God gave me, if we're talking the, the, the bigger picture here. Last week it was cupcakes, but God's given me a job to do, right? I'm up here talking to you because he's told me, get up there and speak. So if I'm to do that, I have to let go. Does the enemy want to come against me? Absolutely. Is the enemy going to come against you the second you stand up, get out of bed and say, I'm going to church? Absolutely. Do you want to come to church? Yeah. But some days, let's be honest, people. Some Sundays, do you think you can suck it up and say, I can't face people today. I am just not in the right place. I don't have the right stuff in me today. So just going to stay home and stay in my bed. I'll watch the service online. And this is no critique for those of you online because I love you. But some of us just say, I can't get out of bed today, so I'm not going to face it. Who knows? Every time that happens to you, that's the, the message you need to hear. That's the day that someone's going to get up here and say something you need to hear that that's the day the enemy is going to come and say, no, you don't feel very good today, do you? Oh, you just sneezed. You might have COVID. <laughs> you should probably go get tested. You just, yeah, yeah, don't go to church today. And I don't mock COVID because it is a very real thing. And my grandfather died due to complications of COVID. So I don't mock that relentlessly. What I'm saying is he will use everything to come against you. You've got a crack in your window. Oh, it's too cold. I need to stay in the covers. You've got a gash on your head. 
on your eyebrow and you have a black and blue eye because your son decided to accidentally throw your phone at you and cut your eye open that you nearly needed stitches. You probably shouldn't go, which is by the way what's happening here. Um, you probably shouldn't go because people are gonna look at you and think you were boxing. Does it matter if people think you're boxing? No, hey, you wanna think I'm a boxer? Watch out, enemy, I'll box you. Which, by the way, I do love stuff like that. But thing is, he will use everything. You have a bad hair day, put a hat on. Last week. Um, right? He will capitalize on how you feel. Why? Because our emotions are so strong within us, they have a way of moving us. Now, my emotions can move me like this because I've been known to walk like this. You wouldn't think it, right, looking at the crazy me that's standing before you now. Or the difference, and some of you at boot camp would have heard me say this as well. What's the difference here? Am I feeling any better? Not really. It's a choice. Same as love is a choice, by the way. This, walking in it, sitting in it, showing up to church, showing up to work, showing up for your kids, showing up to whatever is going on in your life, that is a choice. It's not going to feel any different at first. Spoilers! It will take time and time again to do it. How do we take control of our mind? How do we fight in the battlefield? How do we make these choices? You do it once. Will it feel different? Probably not. Should you cheer yourself? Absolutely. Then do it again. What's going to happen after the first time you do it? Your world will probably crumble. Your kids will get some infection from nursery or you decide to not follow God or your partner may break up with you or whatever thing the enemy will happen to use. Your computer at work crashes and you really need to get that report in but you didn't feel like doing it the night before so you thought I'd put it off till tomorrow. Yeah, that's when he's gonna say, see you. You got out of bed on church on Sunday, so I'm going to crash your computer on Monday. Why? Because he likes to kick you when you're down. But he loves even better to like to kick you when you're up, to get you back down. Because what's the point of kicking you when you're down? You keep rolling and staying down. Sure. You don't want to get up? Not a problem. Here's another bill. Here's another drink. Here's another emotional problem. But when you get up, then he's going to come and slam against you so hard you're going to feel like you've been hit by a bulldozer. Now, how is that encouraging? Because what happens when you fall down and get up again, fall down and get up again, then you're growing your muscles, right? Your spiritual muscles. So those of you who work out, raise your hand. 
right? I, I, I only have it mildly raised, okay? <laughs> so I had said earlier today, I'm all on board for the train of transparency, like mildly work out here. What happens after the first time you work out? Are you sore? All right, who knows that that's a good sore? Who knows that's a good feeling? Why? Because you've done something to better yourself. But what do you need to do for it to work? Keep doing it. And then all of a sudden, you wake up and you're like, hey, this is easy. Another battle will come. Don't worry about it. But this, this is easy. That is how you take control of the battlefield of the mind. That is how you walk upright with the right stuff because you've already got it inside of you. Why? Because he created you this way. He didn't only choose you, he made you. Flaws and all. Sometimes I just love, I think God's got a really great sense of humor. Because how else is he going to keep himself entertained without watching us stumble and fall? But what's his favorite part of that? Being there to hold us and pick us back up. Being there. When we fall, he is there for us. The thing is, is that we may or may not let him in. Does the enemy kick us? Absolutely. But what's there to help us heal those wounds while we're down? Jesus. He is there to comfort us. He is there to hold us and tell us it's okay. Do we feel it? No. Probably not. Is, does that mean it doesn't exist? It exists. It is real. It is so real. Because he will show you how real it is. He will move mountains for you. He will put things in place to make sure you know he's there. He'll send you that person that's randomly walking down the sidewalk, sidewalk coming for you, just smiling at you. He'll send you that, hi, how you doing today? Or that random friend who you haven't spoken to in months sends you a random text, just wanted to say hi, hope you're well. Because he knows when you're down and when you need it. He knows what you need. So he's going to give it to you, but if you continue to focus on being down and focus on the enemy and what the enemy is saying, then you can't receive it. goes back to, can the enemy actually hurt you? You can try, but you have to allow that to happen because God has already given you the right stuff. So are you going to listen to the enemy? Listen to your emotions and your feelings guide you where you need to go? Or are you going to let him take our failures? Are you going to let him help us take our weaknesses? Because he is a treasure. See, it all comes down to we're questioning whether or not we can be the vessels of God, right? But he sets his, his, his treasures in broken vessels. He sets his treasures in us, knowing that he is the glue to keep us together. He is the one. But see, here's the other thing. If you think of jars of clay, right? 
if you put a light in it and it's perfectly together, can you still see the light shining through? But if you have a broken vessel that has been mended, and actually there's ancient um, artisans who have who made an art out of broken vessels. They've taken all the pieces, and people do it all the time. Um, I don't even remember the name, but they get all the broken pieces and they put it together, and it's mosaics. Mosaics, right? So if that's art and that's beauty, what happens when you put a light into a repaired vessel? You can see through the cracks. You can't see that through a perfect vessel, which, by the way, doesn't exist except for Jesus, but he was the light, so let's be honest, he's shining and glowing anyway, right? We are not perfect, nor should we be. What we need to do is not try to strive for perfection, but strive for Jesus. When we keep our eyes on him and see who he has made us to be, see that he has chosen us, then we can walk with confidence. And then what happens after that? Because let's not forget the second part of the story with Frances. Thank you for being my inspiration for this. She noticed. She noticed that I was walking different. So how does that help us? we're not trying to strive for other people's opinions. We're trying to, to, to live and walk with what God has given us, which, let's be honest, isn't striving at all. It's, it's a bit of work, but it's not striving, right? Striving is, is struggle. But his yoke is light. His burden is not that of the world, right? So it's not striving to walk in that. But what happens? The people around us start to notice. And how does that benefit Jesus? Because what is it that's inspiring us to do that? People will start to see the Jesus in us. They'll start to see the light shining through the cracks and trust that he is holding all those broken pieces together. But he is doing it in such a way that it is art and beauty. And what you may think is your worst broken piece, he is going to spotlight on display. Because you will be walking as an example of him. And he wants people to see him. He wants you to look in the mirror and see him. Why? Because he is love. There are lots of reasons why, but one of them, if you can look in the mirror and see love, you don't see the broken pieces. You see Jesus. So then you are art. You are beauty. You are all the things that he has said you are. When you are walking 
in him, with him, for him, to him. All these great words that end and begin with him. Take it step by step. Take your failures. He's going to take them from you. He doesn't, I, I hesitate to say he doesn't care. He cares because he loves you. But he's going to be there to pick up the pieces and make them perfect. He's going to take your weaknesses and make them your strengths. He is then going to set his treasure in you, your jars of clay, you beautiful, beautiful jars of clay. Because we are the vessels to carry him. Did Peter have to deny Jesus three times? Absolutely, because God told him he would. Jesus sat there and said, yeah, bro, about your love. Um, just be prepared. You're going to say you don't love me. But then Jesus then turns around. Do you love me? Yes. Then guard my sheep. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? Because he knew that when Jesus left, the Holy Spirit was coming to reside within Peter. Was Jesus asking to make sure? Was he saying, oh, you doubted before. Let me just double check that you're the right guy. Oh, there's stuff back here. <laughs> Let me just double check that you're the right guy. No, Jesus knew he was the right guy before he was even born. Right? Because he made him. He made him flaws and all to sit there on the, the boat and say, we can't get any fish, but uh, yeah, if you want to come on, come on. We'll stay on the day. And then have to go with nets and nets and nets and ask for people to help him with all those blessings. He knew that he would be standing there on the day of uh, Pentecost and be blessed with the Holy Spirit coming to reside in the man that denied him thrice. I love that word. <laughs> We're going there, people. Three times, thrice. But how many times do you need to deny Jesus for him to stop loving you? Because every time you step out of that boat and try to do it your own way, as much as you're looking to Jesus, how are you denying him when he told you to stay in the boat to get to the other side? You stepping out of the boat is saying, I'm denying you real quick because I think I know a better way. Or even, I'm going to do it because I think this is what I think you want me to do. I think you want me to do it this way, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out of the boat because you're so cool. But he never asked us to walk on water. He asked us to trust him to keep us from drowning. Again, he even tells us, seven times seven, you forgive. You forgive. You forgive. Why does he tell us that? Because he forgives. He forgives. And he's trying to tell you, forgive yourself for whatever things you think you have done. Forgive the people in your life for whatever things you think they have done. And you walk to 
for all those other great words, him. And trust that when you take your eyes off him, if you start to drown, he will lift you out of the waters. Because even in the mistakes that you make after you've declared that you're going to do it, after you've stepped in and said, I've got the right stuff, then inevitably we're going to take our eyes off of Jesus. Because we are flawed. And that's okay. What's not okay is to give up because of those flaws. There's the old never give up, never surrender. Well, yeah, <laughs> let's really think of that because what happens if we give up? We take our eyes off of Jesus. And that's where the enemy wants us, looking down, being down. So never surrender to the enemy. Never let him control you because he will like leading a dog by its tail drag you around to where you're so confused and so discombobulated in what's going on that you will doubt and question yourself or if you have what's right within you but what is the truth we just did a whole series on truth Jesus is the truth. He's, he is the way, the life, the truth. So if he's in us, we must have the right stuff. Right? Because it is. It's his amazing grace. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our website, www.bridge-church.com and connect with us via Facebook and Twitter.